have your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And last week, uh, we learned that we're, we're taking a walk together. We're taking a walk, right? We spent uh, really the first quarter of the year learning incredible biblical truths about who we are in Christ and all the spiritual blessings. As Ephesians 1.3 says, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And the question last week was, was asked and answered, what are we supposed to do? Well, now that you've told us all these incredible blessings we have received about who we are in Christ and we're complete, loved, accepted, pleasing, everything, right? What are we supposed to do? And we saw, if you turn to Ephesians 4.1, right, we saw the Apostle Paul speaking to the believers in Ephesus. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received, right? That word urge was beg, beseech, implore, right? Implore. He was begging them, and in the New King James, it was to, have, to walk worthy, Right? It's a walk. And he says, you know what? I spent three chapters in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. We spent the first quarter together. All these incredible spiritual blessings. Now I'm begging you, church. I'm imploring you. I'm beseeching you. Have a walk worthy of who you are in Christ. And we saw, what does that mean? It's a powerful word picture. We saw it. It was a scale. Right? When he says, have a walk worthy of your of your calling live a life worthy of your calling all he's saying is hey it's a scale it's a scale how i live my life should match who i am in christ your doctrine should match your daily life or how you say your walk should equal your talk right that's what he's begging the church to do he's imploring he's beseeching hey church do this just when you leave when you live at home at school, at work, at Costco, at Vons. You're driving. Ernie, you're driving. Have your walk equal your talk for the glory of God. That's how we, that's how we glorify God, right? Sometimes we think, oh, you know, I can't glorify God until I do something big. No, the big thing about glorifying God is just having your walk equal your talk. Amen? Especially in light of the culture and where we are. I had a, a good buddy. He said, you know what? When it's darkest, that's when the light shines the brightest. And sometimes we forget, as the church, just being followers of Jesus, that if we live lives in balance, you shine. You shine. How many of you have ever been at work and you're just being you and someone might come up to you and say, hey, you know what? You don't cuss, do you? Right? Hey, you know what? How come you always smile when you get here? Right? You're so friendly. Right? And we forget that people are watching. That people are listening to your conversations. And that just by having our walk match our talk in the power of the Spirit, you stand out. Now, Hopefully that's a draw, but sometimes standing out for Jesus, you know, some people may not be too thrilled with that. That's okay. That's okay. We're just being us in Christ. Amen? Amen? So he says, hey, you know what? Have a walk worthy of your calling. Just, just be in balance. And so we, we, we were challenged. The application last week when we left here was just do that. This week, be intentional about having your walk equal your talk. And we said, is there one thing in your life, is there one area in your life where you would say, eh, it's kind of out of, out of balance? Just pick one area and ask God to show you, get people around you, pray about it, do something about it, right? So here's another follow-up question. Did you, did I purpose each day, Lord, today I just want to have my walk equal my talk? Isn't that a great prayer for the day? That's a great prayer for every morning. Lord, today, I, you can even pray this verse. Here's a great prayer verse. Lord, today, I would ask in the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, may I live a life worthy of the calling I have received. That's praying scripture. That's a great morning scripture. 
Because you take that to every circumstance, every relationship, everything that happens till you put your head on the pillow. Lord, today, my prayer, my, my desire is that I would live a life worthy of the calling I have received in the power of the Spirit for the glory of God. Great prayer. Great prayer, right? So we saw it's a walk, right? It's a walk. Jesus says, come follow me. You know, let's take a walk. Follow me. We saw earlier in the year that when people were called to follow a rabbi, that relationship was tight. He said, come follow me. Leave everything behind and come follow me. And so a disciple wouldn't just follow a rabbi. They wanted to be the rabbi. They would, they would copy his mannerisms, how he spoke, everything he did, right? May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. We spent a lot of weeks following Jesus, walking with Jesus, right? And so if we're going to take this walk, if we're going to walk worthy of the calling, somebody say, well, how do I do that? What's the first step of this walk? Verse 2 is the first step. Look at that, Ephesians 4.2. So verse 1 says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Step number one, be completely humble and gentle. Actually, those are two steps. But step one, be completely humble. Now, I've been thinking about that all week. The Apostle Paul begs the church, live a life worthy of the calling. Be in balance. You're like, okay, how do I do that, Apostle Paul? Step number one, be completely humble. Completely, as in every area of your life, have biblical humility. That's the first step. Maybe not what I would have thought would have been the first step. And you're like, okay, what is this? Why is humility so important? And we're going to look at that. What is what is biblical humility? What is it, right? The New King James Version says, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. The New Living Translation says this, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. There's a progression here. If you're not catching it, he says, hey, live a life worthy. Verse 2, be completely humble. So the first step, check your heart. It's a heart check. And then after that, he says, because this heart is going to play out into every relationship you have, beginning with the church. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. It's a heart issue. So this walk with Jesus begins with humility. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Because out of our heart, according to the Bible, everything flows. Everything flows. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You want to know where someone is spiritually? Just listen to them. Just listen to them. Right? A missionary to India once said, if I were to pick out two phrases necessary for spiritual growth, I would pick out these. I don't know, and I am sorry. And both phrases are the evidences of deep humility. Deep humility. Anyone ever get in an argument at home and you know you're wrong? But by golly, you cannot admit that. Hmm? Mark? Mark? I know, I talked to your wife. Yeah, I get it. You know, I mean... Why? Because in these moments of having to admit fault, failure, being wrong, oh, I'm wrong, sorry, please forgive me. What's driving that? What's the resistance? Pride. Pride. And and I got to believe this first step is so important to living a life. Because to be completely humble touches at the core of self and of pride. Pride. If we're going to walk in balance, if we're going to live lives that glorify God, that we're going to walk with Jesus, here's the thing, guys. Right off the bat, he says, you know what? We've got to deal with self. We've got to deal with pride. We're going to have to deal with pride. And it's not necessarily a pride that's, hey, look at me, right? Pride can be very, very subtle. Pride can be very, very subtle. 
right? Sometimes we joke here about, about, you know, on Sundays, you know, the miracle of what happens from the parking lot to the front door. You're having a bad day at home. Kids aren't cooperating. Others don't even want to come. And you're, ah, ah, and you're tension in the car. And then, you get, and then you're even mad when you pull in. But the ignition goes off. The door's open. And a miracle has happened to this family. <laughs> Something happens in 50, 50 yards. How are you? Good. And you? How's the family? Oh, we're great. We're great. Enjoying just family. It's family day. It's church day. We're good. We're good. What's behind all that? What's behind, right? What is that? That, There's a lot of fear, insecurities, you know. Church. Everyone else looks like they got it all together. Right? What are they going to think if they knew that we were were, were at 8 o'clock this morning? Any volunteers? Anyone? Eh? Linda, you're smiling. Something happened. No, just kidding. Right? Right? And, and so this, this idea of being completely humble, even in church, whoo, that's kind of tough. And it's interesting. We're going to get next week. We're not even going to get to the second half of the verse. It says, be patient, bearing with one another in love. He says, deal with you first. And then we're going to talk about church relationships. It's crazy. Right? So today we're going to focus on being humble because it touches on pride. It touches on our very core of who we are. Who we are, right? There's a definition that says uh, it's the estimation of ourselves according to truth. Now, it's very important because when you say, oh, I've got to be humble, people kind of misunderstand that definition and think, oh, you're going to be humble. It means you're a doormat, right? It means you just beat yourself up all the time. You think you're no good, you know. Somehow they equate humility with low self-esteem. That is not biblical humility at all. At all, right? And, and, and we have to understand that because if this is the first step to living a life worthy, you've got to understand it is not thinking of yourself like a doormat. How many of you can, are your own worst enemy? You're your worst critic. I can't believe you did that. Oh, my gosh, you idiot. Again? I'm so humble. No, you're just beating yourself up. You know, so, so it's not low self-esteem. It's not thinking meanly of yourself. It's not demeaning yourself. That is not humility. Humility is simply seeing yourself in truth. Being honest with who you are and who God is. That's biblical humility. It starts with an honest assessment of who God is and who you are in light of who he is. Right? Now, the challenging part of, 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 of incorporating biblical humility is that a lot of the ancient world Greek and Roman mindset has seeped into America and to the church. See, here's the thing. In the ancient world, to the Greeks and the Romans, humility was detestable. It was despised. It was seen as contempt. It was for the slaves. If you, were, uh, if you professed to be humble and have humility, you were seen as weak, cowardly, it, 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 was, it was a horrible thing to be considered humble in that culture. Because the Greeks and the Romans, what did they elevate? Reputation and honor. Reputation and honor. Status. And if I have certain status, you should be praising me. I've earned this. It was reputation and honor was so elevated and humility so denigrated, so seen as like you're, you're, you're on the bottom of my shoe if you're humble. That I believe a lot of that has crept into us. A lot of us may be, may be struggling with humility because we're really still about reputation and honor. We're still about seeking reputation and honor from man. 
We're still pursuing that dream out there, that status, that job position, that house, that car, whatever title you want. Because you're still in the Greek and, and Roman mindset of reputation and honor, reputation and honor, reputation and honor, right? And suddenly the Apostle Paul says, no, be completely humble. That word humble, the actual literal meaning is low-minded. That's what humble means. In the Bible, low-minded. Now, again, it's not low self-esteem. It means as I elevate God and see God, I'm put in the right place. It's modesty. It's being modesty, modesty thinking, low-minded. It's, it's recognizing the truth. That's biblical humility. The struggle with, with that is that in our culture, it's reputation, honor, and what? Image. It's image. A lot of us are consumed with what we think people think about us. It's reputation and honor. It's a Greek and Roman mindset. Right? And then we might hear verses like this, Proverbs 21.4, haughty eyes, a proud heart, and evil actions are all sin. Right? And we go, yeah. Proverbs 11.2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Yeah. Right? Proverbs 16.18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Yeah, right? I love the message translation. It says, first pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. I love that, right? And we're like, yeah. But then when we leave here and we go back into the world, we go back into reputation and honor and image. And the last thing we may even want to reveal or, or make ourselves vulnerable with is being humble in front of someone. Even the person sitting next to you. I'm sorry. I was. Come on, gentlemen. I was wrong. Wrong. Let's all practice together, gentlemen. I was wrong. <laughs> right? So we amen the verses, yeah, we don't want to, uh, yeah, pride, that's a sin, pride, 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 pride. We leave here and suddenly, oh, insecurities creep right in. And we're just like, oh, Lord, what's going on? What's, what, what, what's going on? Even in the church, there's the danger of pride. Even in the church, there's the danger of pride. In Luke 10, Luke 10, Jesus had sent out his boys in, into the mission field. And, and it had been a successful mission journey. They came back. Right? 72. I'll just read it to you. Luke 10, verse 17. The, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He, Jesus, replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What was the trap? What was the prideful trap? They're sent out. Jesus had given them authority. They're casting out demons. They come back and like, yeah, that was awesome. Jesus, even the demons, we could cast them out in your name. And Jesus has to put them in their place. Hey, hey, time out. I saw Satan fall. And by the way, here's the real miracle that you guys should be celebrating. Salvation. That your names are written in heaven. That's the greatest miracle. But see, the trap of ministry is when things go well, suddenly. And I got to be honest with you. That's, that's, that's something I pray about for us. I really pray about that for us. I, I'm so blessed that, that many of you have joined us in the last year. I'm so blessed that many of you are continuing to invite people. And, and I, I encourage you, please invite people. But please invite them with the heart that they meet Jesus. And not come to an organization called the well. This is just a facility to be used by God for his purpose. Amen? Okay? There's a trap. There's a subtle trap. There's a subtle trap. <sighs> right? And, and I know, right, at, at the gardens, Betty had a t-shirt. Right? The well. And some of you saw the well t-shirt. Nothing wrong with the well t-shirt. And we're, we're looking at that. Except... If the well t-shirt becomes about the well and not about Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? 
Do we celebrate the facility? Yes. Do we celebrate the gifting that God has given us and all the people that serve and the joy and the kids? We celebrate it all. But here's the thing. It's a trap if we suddenly buy into that it's about us. And suddenly, come to this. Come, come. You got to come. You got to come. I understand that. I invite people. Come, come. Make sure that you're praying that they come and meet Jesus. Because that's all. That's why we're here, to make passionate followers of Jesus. That's, that's what we try to emulate. That's who we are, right? We do it in the context of church. But if we have a T-shirt, if we have whatever we're going to have, it's going to be primarily about coming to follow Jesus. Amen? Let's just stay there because it's a subtle trap. It's a subtle trap. And if you're not careful and we kind of get full of ourselves, even if you're walking with Jesus, we can even get argumentative with Jesus. Remember, remember Peter? How many of you love Peter? Good old Pete, right? So, so in Matthew 26, Jesus tells the boys, This very night you will all, all, fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep with a flock. This is Jesus telling the boys what's going to happen. Jesus speaking. Peter replied, even if I fall, if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Pete, Jesus. Jesus just told us all what's happening. I know, but he doesn't know what he's talking about. Peter was somehow so full of himself that he was in front of everyone disrespecting Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. I've seen you do miracles, and you, you know, you're Messiah, you're God, <laughs> but apparently you're wrong, and I know better. I know me better than you know me, Jesus. You hear it? You catch this? This is a guy who walked with Jesus this tight for three years for crying out loud. And if Peter can get there, I can get there, and you can too. If we're not careful, and we start elevating ourselves, and we're celebrating successes, and we think we got it wired, it's not going to be such a stretch if suddenly we just make this into our own liking and we start telling God what's in here and what isn't. It's a trap. It's a trap. And then I love Jesus. Right? So, so Peter tries to call him out. And then Jesus says, Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Them once, you three. Right? But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Do you catch it? There's a deep rebellion in there. There's a deep, I know better than you, God. Where is that coming from? Pride. It's just rooted in self and pride. And that's why i got to believe that this is so important. If you're going to walk with Jesus, the first step is complete humility. Complete. Complete humility, seeing God for who he is, seeing me for, for who I am. And the truth is, I ain't him. And yet in our culture, somehow we're, we're taught that. Hey, you're your own boss. No one can tell you what to do. Do what you want. Do it, right? We're, that's, sort of, that's sort of like I'm, in, I'm the big cheese. I, I'm in control of everything. That's deeply ingrained in us. Deeply ingrained in us, right? It's an elevation of self. First John 2, 6 says, He who says he abides in him, in Jesus, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So if we're going to be disciples of Jesus and we want complete humility, we're to walk in complete humility, what does Jesus do? What is Jesus' view of humility, right? He turns it upside down. So Greek, the Greeks and the Romans elevated reputation and honor. Humility was something to be squashed. Jesus flips it. And this Christian Jesus worldview is what flipped the world when it comes to humility. Look what he says in Luke 18, 14. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, he just flipped the whole world. He just flipped it. He even flipped the religious system of the day. What? Those who are humble will be exalted? Jesus, you're crazy. That's not how it works. 
And some of us in 2018 still may struggle with that. Still may, we still may struggle. Right? Matthew 20, 25. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you see how he flipped it? It's called the upside-down kingdom. You want to be great in God's kingdom? Learn to be the servant, slave of all. Woo! See, that is not how I was raised. I, was, I went down the, the get-the-good-grades, go-to-college track, the performance the merit, the achievement, success track. I, I, I went down that. This whole idea of going to be great, learn to be the servant of all, the humble will be exalted. Honestly, huh, that's a foreign concept to me, and I don't even particularly even care for it as a non-believer. I'm like, sure, whatever, rock on with that. I'm doing my thing. I got, I'm, I'm on my track. I'm, I'm on my track, Right? And, and it's so interesting because if we're not careful, you have to decide and you have to be honest with yourself. Which mindset, even in the church, am I operating under? Is it the reputation and honor? And in the church, there's some things that are below me that I just, you know, I, eh, that's for someone else to do. Or in the church, is it, you know what, you want to be great? You've got to be the servant of all. I've got to be a slave. That's what Jesus says, right? That's what Jesus says. It's very interesting. It's a challenge. If we're honest, if we're truthful, if we're humble in the church, it, it manifests itself. Nadine and I had some, some friends a while back who lived in a, a very, very affluent part of San Diego. Used to go to a church in a very, very affluent part of San Diego. And they shared at their particular church one of the biggest challenges they had was in children's ministry. Why? Because in this demographic, in this very, very affluent part of San Diego, most of the parents had nannies. And the nannies took care of the kids during the week. And the church is asking for volunteers on a Sunday morning. I wonder if nannies are available on Sunday morning. You see? You see the struggle right away. Oh, gosh. How are we going to deal with that? My lifestyle says I have a nanny to care for my kids. Now the church is asking me to volunteer in the toddler room? It was a struggle for this church. They were trying to figure out how to, to mature the body through this sort of demographic challenge. And I'm not throwing stones at them because it happens in every church. There's this sort of mentality even of, well, you know, ah, maybe someone else will take care of that. You know, honestly, you know, I work hard. Yeah, you know, vacuuming and, and the bathrooms around here. Yeah, it just doesn't light my fire. Well, honestly, it doesn't light anyone's fire. <laughs> Except as if you do it unto the Lord. Right? And it's one of these things. You want complete humility? Begin in the church. Is there something in your mind or in my mind that is beneath you? That's a great question to ask. That's, that's a starting point even in, in these relationships. Right? Complete humility. Jesus says if you want to be great in his kingdom, be the servant of all. Okay? Start in the church. Start at home. Start at your house. Go ahead, nudge them. Start at your house. All right, start at your house. Do you have to wait to be asked to take out the trash, or do you see the trash? And just do it. How many of you are experts at balancing when the trash is full? My hand's up. How many? You think somebody should take this out to the trash? Somebody. 
but I just found one little spot. And you walk away before it falls. And then you come back later. How come no one's doing the trash? Right? And you're just waiting. And this is in the pastor's house. The pastor's house. The pastor who works hard all Sunday and comes home and like, where's the trash? Who balanced it? Oh, wait, that was me. That was my milk carton. Sorry. We're, we got to start at home. Amen. It starts there. Complete humility. Right? It's not. Sometimes we're like, oh, I'm going to be so humble. I'm going to go to a third world country and I'm going to humbly serve God. How about you go to your house and humbly serve God? there that's where the rubber meets the road for many of us in your house being the servant of all not keeping score how many of you tend to keep score of how many times you take out the trash and very subtly you say your turn or here's another one i did it last time (laughs) be the servant not the scorekeeper right the classic the classic, if you need, if you see something that needs to be done, just do it, right? Well, what's at the core of that? Humility, servanthood, dying to self for the umpteenth time, right? Right? What does Jesus show us in John 13, right? Powerful, powerful illustration. Remember when he washes their feet? I mean, this is God, Messiah. And he stoops down and he washes his feet, the feet of his boys. They were mind blown. Are you kidding me? You, Jesus, of all people, are washing my feet? Mind blown, right? And then what does he say in John 13? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Right? Here's the example. Proverbs 15.33, Wisdom instruction is to fear the Lord, and humility comes before honor. See how he flipped it? Humility comes before honor. That is completely opposite of the Greek and Roman mindset. Proverbs 22.4, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor in life. You see that? Completely flipped it. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we've got to prioritize humility. That's the starting point. That's the starting point. I love this quote. Humility means understanding who God is and who we are in light of him. The basis of biblical humility begins with who God is and then who we are. Romans 12, 3, for by the grace of God given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. He's like, hey, don't be thinking you're all that. Inflated thinking. He's like, hey, don't be thinking you're all that. Don't think more highly of yourself. One guy I was reading, he said this, studies show that about 80% of the American people believe they are more intelligent, more honest, and more talented than the average person. 80% of the American people believe they are more intelligent, more honest, and more talented than the average person. So turn to the person next to you and try to figure out if you're the 80 or the 20. Go ahead. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. You've got to try to figure that out, right? 80, 20, right? I mean... Because we're always, we're always comparing, right? And we're always sort of trying to put ourselves up. Isn't that what social media does? Right? Instagram, right? Right? It's, it's amazing. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? See, one, one remedy to thinking more highly of yourself it's all from God. You may think and pat yourself on the back that you've reached a certain financial, career, material status. Scripture says, what do you have that you didn't receive? And if you received it from God, you know what? Quit boasting. 
quit boasting. In fact, Deuteronomy says it's God who gives you the ability to make wealth. It's all from him. It's all from him, right? I love John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist baptized Jesus, and so Jesus starts baptizing others. And John the Baptist's disciples get a little bit upset. Hey, hey, John, John, you know that guy you baptized, that Jesus guy? He's baptizing too. And John, they're going to him now. You see the trap? What's John going to do? Right? More people are now going to Jesus than to John, and his disciples aren't liking it. And I love what John says. He says, John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. Right? You yourselves know how plainly I told you I am not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater, and I must become less and less. Amen? You know what John's saying? like, sweet. He's the main guy. He's the groom. I'm just the best man. He must be greater. I must be less. That's our heart here, guys. Jesus must be greater and greater. We must be less and less. Amen? As a church, we're just the best man and the bridesmaid. Maid of honor. It's all about Jesus. And we celebrate him. It's not about us. He must become greater all the time. We must become less and less. Right? I love that. Hey, John. More going to Jesus. Hey, Pastor Richie. More going to that place. But the trap is still the same. The church can so easily get caught up in the success syndrome. Where's everyone going? How big is your church, right? Right? That's a pastor's conference. I've been to pastor's conferences. It's a crazy question. You meet someone 30 seconds later. So how big is your church? Right? And I just tell them it's under 1,000. Evangelistically speaking, we are under a thousand. They want clarification, they can ask a follow up question. Hey, did you hear his church is under a thousand? It's crazy. It's crazy. Because, like, even in ministries, how many came? How many came Tuesday night? How many came to men's? How many came to women's? How many? How many? How many? How many? How many? many? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, right? I mean, it's like, here's the deal. If one person, if one sinner repents, there's a party in heaven. One. One. Everyone say one. If one person repents, if one person gets right with God, if one person gets lit for Jesus and wants to follow Jesus, heaven rejoices. Amen? One. That one can be you. You matter. It's the ones that matter. And there's a tension because we live in this performance, numeric, success-driven society, and everyone wants to ask, how big is your church, and is it growing? We're here faithfully because God called us to be here faithfully. We are blessed that we have gotten to know many of you. We love you. But here's the deal. We want you to love Jesus more than you love the well. Because here's the deal. The church is made up of imperfect people. Amen? Right, and, and I've told you before, if you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll mess it up. Humility. Let's just be honest. Right, Mark? Let's be honest. Right? You're not perfect. I know. Right? I mean, and I'm not perfect. I know. But I'm not as bad as you. You 20 percenter. <laughs> So, so the church is made up of imperfect people in humility trying to follow Jesus. Amen? We want you to love Jesus because probably at some point I may step on your toes. I may something, say something that doesn't sit well. I may not return a text or a phone call. I may, something may happen in the humanness of it all. And if you've built up your faith around the well being the end-all, be-all of your faith, please don't. The rock is Jesus. Right? He is the way, the truth, and the life. 
Okay, so so this humility goes from us to just understanding the church. Oh, there's freedom in being real. Amen. There's freedom in just being human. Amen. All right. So just turn to the person next to you and say, "Come on, I'm human. I'm I'm I'm, I'm human." Man, so much tension has just been released this morning. I'm human, crying out loud, right? I love this quote. Humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. Without an honest awareness of both of these realities, all self-evaluation will be skewed and will fail to either understand or practice true humility. So here's, here's what it boils down to. True biblical humility is about who God is in his holiness and his majesty and who we are, really in our unworthiness and our brokenness and our sin. If you spend the time there, humility will flow. It'll be a fruit, a byproduct of the time you spend focusing on God and his grace and his mercy and what he's done for you, and all you have received, when you will spend the time to do that, you know, humility will just be who you are. See, the challenging thing with humility is once you think you arrived, you just lost it again. <laughs> right? I've got to be humble. I'm going to be humble. I'm proud of my humility. Dude, you just you just took two steps back, right? So humility is this really kind of weird thing because you strive for it, and the minute you think you arrived, yeah, I just lost it again. Where'd it go? Why? Because humility is a fruit, a byproduct of really a focus on God, His nature, what He's done for you and me, who we are in Christ. And if you stay there and you leave here with that, you walk in humility. You walk in humility. You're not striving for it. It's the fruit of the Spirit coming out of you, right? Isaiah 6, right? Remember this? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. And here's the response. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He sees God, and there's an immediate response. Woe to me. You see, if God somehow manifested himself right now, in this place, right now, none of us would be sitting. We would be floored. We would be floored. And if we want to take this first step of complete humility, you've got to spend the time before the presence of God. You, you just got to be in his presence and just sit there long enough to go, oh my gosh, Lord, really? Really? The God of the universe, holy, 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 and you sent your son and you loved me that much and your grace and your mercy and your blessings and I'm complete and I'm loved, accepted, pleasing. My sins are all forgiven. Really? If you spend that time, humility, humility just bears fruit, right? Right? The challenge is we live in a culture that's obsessed with self. I was listening to a, to a, a TED Talk this week. And the speaker said this. We live in a new generation. And he gave some statistics. He said, every 10 seconds, a thousand selfies are posted on Instagram. On average, it is estimated that the average millennial, if you're in that generation, the average millennial will, twa- will take 25 thousand pictures of their face in their lifetime. (sighs) 
we live in this self-me, self-adulation, self-glorification, right? We're trying to feed off affirmation, publicity, reputation, honor. Does someone like me, right? So click, 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 click. 25,000 times you're going to have a picture of your face, Shiloh. Right? A thousand selfies posted every 10 seconds on Instagram. And what are they all about? I've arrived. My vacation's better than yours. My dog's better than yours. I'm having ice cream and more fun than you. Right? It's all about one-upping. Like, this social media is like, how many likes? How many likes? What's that all about? Because the more likes, the more you feel better about who? Me! Right? And into all this, Apostle Paul says, hey, complete humility, right? Because one of the byproducts of this selfie me generation is this, apathy towards the problems of others. Apathy. We're so consumed with ourselves that we'll read stories on the news, hear stories, Haiti, Mexico, and we're like, oh, that's a bummer. Hey, come, come here, let's take a picture. Right? We're driven more by self and reputation and honor, and we become just hardened and apathetic to the real needs of real people. Right? A.B. Bruce says this the whole aim of satanic policy is to get self interest recognized as the chief end of man. The Westminster Confession says the chief end of man is to glorify God. The devil wants us to focus on us. Remember the garden? What was his plan with Eve? Hey, Eve, God doesn't want you to have that because he knows if you do, you're going to be like him. Oh, really? The core of this was to get her eyes off of God and onto her. Focus of self. Focus of self, right? And here's the thing. But for the grace of God, we would all be pretty consumed with self. Right? I know someone in this room, if they weren't a Christian, if he wasn't a Christian, would probably be one of the most selfish, self-centered, materialistic, ego-driven, career-driven, angry, rude, aggressive, in-your-face guy, if he wasn't a Christian. And I'm going to name names. Right? Right? I know that because that's how I was. That's how I grew up. It was all about me, just all about me, and woe to the person that got in my way. It's all about me, 100%. But for the grace of God. And so it's taken a while. If you're sitting here like, well, this humility thing, complete humility, and you're like, that's impossible, that's the point. It's God. And it bears testimony to him. I still laugh sometimes at the fact that I'm up here. I'm like, are you kidding me? That's crazy. There's one of the most selfish, egotistical. Just, just ask my younger sister. She'll tell you. Right? In fact, she told me one time. I don't know why this stuck with me, but she told me. I did something really kind of selfish and egotistical <laughs> in high school. And me and my younger sister got into it. You know how they do. And she, she said to me, now I know why everyone hates you. So, <laughs> I mean, what do you say to that, right? Because I was all about me. I don't care about people's feelings. I just did what I felt, what I felt good about, right? I just wanted what pleased me in the moment. It was also me, 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 me. All about elevating myself. But for the grace of God. But for the grace of God. Philippians 2, 3 says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Stuart Scott says, when someone is humble, they are focused on God and others, not on self. Even their focus on others is out of a desire to love and glorify God. A humble person's goal is to elevate God and encourage others. In short, 
they no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Before we sing a song, we're going to sing a song before communion. Our ultimate example goes back to Jesus. Philippians 2, 5 and 11. Look at what it says there. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What did humility cost Jesus? His life. His choice, his willingness to humble himself as part of God's plan cost him everything. So before I start to argue a little bit about what humility might cost me, God. That's inconvenient. That's not fair. I didn't want to. Why? Why me? Before I start complaining about what humility may cost me, I go back to that verse. And I'm reminded that Jesus humbled himself to the point of death. And here's the crazy thing. For who? (laughs) And that brings me right back to God in his holiness and grace, and brings you right back. Oh, Lord, really, woe is me. Woe is me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for teaching us that biblical humility begins with a focus on you. A focus on you. And who we are in Christ and what you have done for us. Lord, we live in a selfie generation, a me-driven generation. And so, Lord, we choose at this time right now to put our focus on you, on you. Lord, Isaiah saw you, and he was overwhelmed with your holiness, your glory, your majesty. And, Lord, right now we choose, we choose to put our focus on you. You. Just on you, God. 